Welcome to Geocache Adventures with me, Shadow Dragon One, where I discuss geocaching and my adventures with it. This interview was recorded using Zoom and may sound different than other podcast audio. Hello everyone and welcome to the podcast with me, Amy, Shadow Dragon One. I'm excited to introduce to you Stephen Mark Rainey, author of A Mary Scares, West Virginia Lair of the Mothman, and fellow geocacher. I really enjoyed reading your book. I appreciate that. Uh, I had uh, years ago when, when I first started geocaching, um, the publisher Crossroad Press that does the Amerisgear series had um, said, "Well, you should write a geocaching novel because who would who would do it better?" And I said, "Well, I'll give it a try." And I came up with a plot. I was never very happy with it. But when the America started, uh, the Mothman, I thought, you know, I can tie geocaching into that. So that became the geocaching novel that uh, I had plotted, oh, probably five years earlier. Of course, that one didn't include the Mothman, but I was able to take all those plot elements from that original geocaching story and tie them in the way I wanted to with that book. Wow. Uh, well, that worked out well. <laughs> I, I think so. Um, the background of the Amerisgears series is, um, you know, I've been writing professionally for 30 some years and uh, Elizabeth Massey, who uh, is a pretty well-known author in horror, fantasy, uh, the speculative fiction field. And, um, she came up with a uh, series it's called Amerisgears and, and it's geared mostly toward younger readers from say eight to 14 years old. Um, and she asked me if I would be interested in contributing to this series. We had written a, a few things. Uh, we had collaborated uh, in previous years. She and I wrote a novel in the uh, Harper Collins Dark Shadows series. I don't know if you're familiar with Dark Shadows, the old TV show. I've heard of it, but I, yeah, I have not uh, gotten involved in that one. When I was a youngster, I was a knocked out diehard Dark Shadows fan. It was a soap opera that had vampires and werewolves and it was fantastic. And uh, so when I got the chance to do the Dark Shadows novel with her, that was a dream come true. But um, we've worked well together many, many times over the years. And, uh, so the whole concept of the Amerisgear series, which uh, when it's all said and done, there'll be 50 books, uh, one for each state, and each one uh, involves legends and folklore and that sort of thing from each state. And uh, initially she said, well, I'm, the first thing I need is a book about the Mothman from West Virginia. Are you interested in that one? And I said, well, yes. And, uh, so that turned out to be my, my first one in the series. I've since had uh, two more published. I'm, I'm almost finished with the next one, and I'll have at least one more to do after that. None of those, sadly, relate to geocaching. <laughs> hey, we got one in there. That's Yeah, yeah, that, that makes me very happy. Yeah, there are, I have done some searching, and there do not seem to be from what I have found, too many books that feature geocaching in them. So I was very excited to come across this one. Yeah. And not only did it have geocaching, but it has monsters, which 
I absolutely love. Yeah. That's good stuff. I, I, uh, I have put copies of that book in quite a few caches as like a, uh, the first to find oh, that's prize. And every now and then I'll just take one out to some random cache and let some poor sucker pick that thing up and hopefully be stupid. <laughs> I've done that with some of my other books too. You know, if I get some extra copies in from the publisher, I'll, uh, I'll go load a few up in a cache from time to time. And I've gathered a few readers that way. And I've probably influenced a few people to never speak to me again. <laughs> well, how did you get started in geocaching? I've always been real keen on hiking and going out in the woods. I grew up, uh, in, a fairly small town in Virginia, uh, Martinsville. And, and it was a very wooded area with lots of trails, lots of places to ride bikes. I was enamored of the woods since I was a young kid. And there was a, uh, this was back in late 2007. There was a brand new trail in Martinsville. I was there visiting my mom. Uh, and I decided to look up some information about the new trail online. And the first thing it took me to was the geocaching page. And I had no idea what that was there. I read that there, it took me there because there was uh, a cache or two on that trail. And I started reading the description and I was trying to uh, sort of infer what all this talk about coordinates was, what, the swag was, it had a list of all this stuff. I'm like, there's something hidden out there. And I thought, well, that's just the coolest damn thing. And I didn't have a GPS or anything at the time, but I was, you know, even then I was looking at Google maps and I thought, you know, I know about where that is. So I went out and started looking around. Now that first one out in the fairly deep woods, I didn't find, you know, there, it was a multi, it was a multi. So I found the first stage. But then that didn't tell me from there, I didn't know what to do. Oh. But when I started looking at other, the little cache icons on the map, I was like, I bet I can go find those. So my first dozen or so caches, I just went out and found based on the map. I didn't have a GPS, but uh, I just thought this was, this was the coolest thing, you know, since I was a little kid going out treasure hunting. Um, so my wife at the time, my ex-wife, she got me GPS and that was all she wrote. I had the bug and the bug has never left me. I've, uh, <laughs> I've got, let's see, I've, I got 12,000 and some hides or fines now. And I'm probably just as excited about it now as I ever was, uh, back in 2008, you know, when I got into it in earnest, but yeah, I love it. I'm, I'm addicted. I think most of us that stay with it are addicted to it at some point at this how long, point. How long have you been at it? I have been active for a little over a year now. Oh, yeah. I actually signed up about six years ago after a friend told me, uh, but I was pregnant at the time and walking wasn't, walking distance wasn't, ha it was more of a waddling thing. So yeah. I didn't get into it then. And then I after the baby was born, I was trying to get my husband to get into it and he wasn't interested. I was like, well, how do I do this with a newborn going off into the woods? So yeah. I kind of just set that on the back burner for a while. And then when my son 
was five, I was trying to look for some new stuff to do with him and happened to remember that I had set up the geocaching account. So we've been, we've been doing yeah. it since then. So that, it's been fun. Now, I, where, where, where are you located? I saw you were in central time. I am. I'm in Missouri, St. Charles area. Okay. Just west of St. Louis. Is that a pretty active area for geocaching? You know, there seemed to be, um, there's a Creevecore Park area not too far from me, and that is saturated with a ton of geocaches and a ton of different types. We've got a lot of different city, state parks around here that have, you know, several caches in them. So the, the one thing is, though, that there seems to be a lot of micro and nanos, mm. which when you have a small kid, they don't really care for that so much. And right. They want... They want the they big, want the big ones. They want the toys, and yeah. So it, some of if I'm if I have him with me, I don't get to go to as many per se because I'm to keep him engaged. I try to find like one big one near a park, and then we can go find the cash and then go yeah. take him to play. And if I if I get a day to myself, then I may go out and get ten or so on my own, but. Yeah. Now we, we do have a lot of caches in this area in uh, Greensboro, Winston-Salem High Point area. It's the uh, triad of North Carolina. And over the years, we've had very, very active uh, caching communities. So there's, oh, thousands, thousands in this area. And I found them all. I, I, <laughs> I, I have to go farther and farther afield to uh, to find anything. Now I, I do a lot over toward Raleigh Durham. That's a, a okay. big big caching area, and uh, I hope that I will not cash out that area within <laughs> this lifetime. I sort of doubt it. I sort of doubt it. But uh, it, it it after you've been at it for a, a good length of time and, and our caching community is not as vigorous as it was. There's still a good many regulars, you know, some old timers. We've got uh, one fella, Nighthawk, has found one cache every single day without a break for, I believe, 13 years. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so every now and then a bunch of us will go out and put, you know, a handful of parking grabs out there just so that he doesn't have to break his streak. I was going to, uh, I was thinking I, I probably owe him a few more to put out there. He, he, he needs, he, he needs to get out there and hide something. <laughs> but, uh, I was thinking I'm going to put out one pretty, so I'm going to call it desperado because he is the most desperate man. You know, <laughs> that, that cash a day in there. I've never, I've never done streaks like that. I don't, I mean, I like to get my numbers up and everything, but I go more for quality hides and I don't want caching to become work and I feel like if I had if I obligated myself to get a cash every single day it would become work yeah I I would agree with that for me it would be a lot of work to try to to do that like there was there's I came across a couple challenge caches in my area that I thought could be fun and then I start looking at them and it's like this is a lot more work than I want to put into it. <laughs> I know. No, I've, I've probably hidden, uh, I've got what a, at least a couple of hundred active hides out there. And I've had a bunch of others that are, uh, that have been archived a uh, few events in, in my total count. Um, 
and I, most of them I've concentrated in a area reasonably close to home so that when I have to maintain them, I'm not going to have to be traveling, you know, a hundred miles to go maintain yeah. a cache or something. But, um, my hometown up in Virginia is about an hour from here and I've, I've got about as many there as I do here. So every now and then I have to do a pretty big maintenance run. I, I do like to make sure all my caches are taken care of and that I don't have a whole bunch of needs maintenance flags up on everything. Yeah. So I try to stay pretty, pretty conscientious about keeping those active. So the Ameriscare series, is that how yeah. it's pronounced? Yeah, Ameriscares, yeah. Okay, so you said there's going to be 50 total by right. the time the series is done. Right now, um, um, I forget how many Beth Massey has written. I think she's got about a dozen out there. I, I, it's just shy of 20 is how many are, are um, completed and published right now. Some of them are out on audiobook, the Mothman book is out on audio. And uh, just before the pandemic, well, it was last year, Warner Brothers and uh, oh, what's the company called? Margot Robbie's company. Um, they uh, optioned the series for, for television. From oh, wow. my, my understanding uh, is that Warner was looking to do a streaming channel and they wanted to acquire some property. So they have acquired the Ameriscare series to uh, develop for television. And I believe they're going to adapt the individual books, which needless to say would be freaking awesome. But then enter the pandemic. And so that thing's been on hold now. And I, I hope it doesn't end up having to stay on hold so long that it never happens. Who knows? But the, the idea that uh, there would be a TV show based on this series with some of our works actually showcase that, uh, you know, that's worth a good first to find or something. I mean, I'm, I'm that would be, really keen hopefully that. that, hopefully that picks up soon. I, I we can look forward to that. I do hope it will. Now the, the series is written in a way where you don't have to read every book in it, correct? That's correct. There's uh, no continuity between one or the next. They're all standalone stories. That's nice. So we can read them any order, pick and choose. Abs yes, absolutely. Yeah. That's great. I just, um, I started the New Hampshire book recently and it involves UFOs based on the incident at Exeter from the 1960s, which was wow. quite famous. Um, that's so far, that's the only state I've written about that I haven't spent time in the, uh, Michigan book. My fiance is from Michigan. So we've spent a lot of time in Michigan and especially up in the upper peninsula where this, this book is set. And the other one I've done is Ohio called uh, Fear the Grassman. The Grassman is a Bigfoot type creature and it's oh. apparently quite uh, prevalent in Ohio. I never knew Ohio had its own Bigfoot, but apparently it's a big one. Never heard of that one before. Yeah. Uh, from, I, I did learn that there are more, well, Grassman sightings, uh, Bigfoot sightings in Ohio than any other state, even California or the Pacific Northwest. Who, huh. who knew? That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. So your book, when I checked, it has a rating of 4.6 out of 5 on Amazon, which to me is very impressive because you get enough people rating something and you get a yeah, the, the, uh, board. The, the, the only issue with reviews that I see with the 
young audience is that most youngsters simply do not write much in the way of reviews, but the books are, I think, structured in such a way is that they will appeal to adults as well. I mean, you read the Mothman book and I assume you thought that was okay. I did. Uh, I enjoyed it. Yeah. So I, uh, everything I've heard is that adults do enjoy these books, even though the uh, target audience is, is the uh, younger set. So uh, the target audience, is it more like middle school? Yeah. Typically? Middle grade. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, in my opinion, in that perspective, I think it's kind of like the Harry Potter series. It was geared towards that set, but I think adults right. can just pick it up and enjoy it. Oh, yeah. I, I well, loved Harry Potter when I first read it, and it I wouldn't go so far as to say it influenced me in any way, but its I guess it sort of helped me look at how to use the language to uh, the, the, the Mariscare series was the first time I've written for this grade level. You know, most of my stuff is adult, is adult fiction. Uh, and I did read, uh, you know, quite a few different examples of, uh, of fiction for that age. And one of the things that did help is that my day job is that I work for an educational publisher and we produce educational materials for teachers of, that exact grade level, well, from preschool up through intermediate grades. But that helps to give me a good idea of what uh, reading level the kids are, what their skill levels are. So that sort of helped me fashion uh, uh, characters of the appropriate age and okay. how they interact and what, and academically and socially, what they, uh, what they know, you know. And yeah. not to mention looking back, I mean, hell, I'm probably about, you know, here, I am 61 years old. Up here, I'm considerably, considerably less than that. <laughs> let's go with that. Let's go with the, uh, 15. Uh, <laughs> we'll go with that. That sounds good. I'm, I, I, we, I think we all have our days where we definitely act a lot younger uh, than yeah, the, our this physical adult ages. business. It's not. It's not all this crack. Yeah. <laughs> Except that I can go get, I can go cashing about any time I want to. There you go. I'll, I'll <laughs> so for anybody that may not be familiar with the book, could you give us just sort of a brief overview about what the story is? Okay. The Mothman is actually probably one of the more famous uh, legends from relatively modern history. Uh, you probably heard of the Mothman Prophecies, the movie with mm -hmm. Richard Gere and Deborah Messing, Laura Linney. Uh, I saw that movie when it first came out, which was in the early 2000s, and I believe that was the first time I'd ever even heard of the Mothman. And I, I loved that movie, and I developed an interest in it above and beyond the movie. I mean, I started looking into the original storyline of what happened, and in my book, uh, of course, it's set in West Virginia. The Point Pleasant is the town where uh, the events happened in the 60s, which started out with many, many people seeing what they took to be some kind of creature with red eyes. Uh, it appeared to quite a number of people independently who had not had any contact with one another, and they all reported seeing this thing 
with you know with no possibility of having conferred with with other people you know to like propagate a hoax or anything like that right. so i've always found that fascinating so in my book well let me go back a minute the the incidents with the mothman where people were seeing it culminated in the silver bridge that spanned the ohio river between point pleasant and gallipolis ohio uh, it was just before Christmas, uh, 1966, I believe it was, it collapsed and killed 47 people. After that, nobody saw the Mothman there again. And then in other places, people reported seeing this same thing, the, the Mothman. And supposedly it's where tragedies are about to occur. So in my book, we have these kids who are geocachers and it's in a little town near Point Pleasant. It's a fict uh, fictitious town. They um, start seeing something that matches the description of the Mothman. And uh, even, you know, and at first they're afraid nobody's going to believe them because it just sounds too fantastic. But then lots of other people in that area start seeing the Mothman and they bring up what happened in the 60s, you know, is that the Mothman showed up, tragedy followed. Uh, and the geocaching angle comes in while the kids are caching they find clues that they can only attribute to being left by the Mothman. And so that, that sort of kicks in their detective instincts and they start trying to investigate what all this really means. And as the story progresses, uh, they go on a night cache hunt. And well, night caches are personally my favorite. And so I decided to make the story as the night cash story happens, incidents with the Mothman coincide. And I won't give away more of the plot than that, but it does lead to, uh, you know, one of those inevitable tragic situations that the Mothman is known for. Um, so I, I hope that, that the book succeeded in having uh, both a, a fun, aspect to it and sort of a dark creepy atmosphere to it because you know I, I grew up loving creepy i still love creepy and if there's anything i like more than being scared it's scaring somebody else so i hope so. <laughs> it's got the pants scared off of them I, I can hope well i enjoyed it and it even for me as an adult i it did kind of have a creepiness to it especially towards the end when the tragedy took yes. place there one of the things I, I think you as a geocacher may appreciate uh, is that Fortune Point Pleasant is four hours from here. And so when I determined that I was going to combine the geocaching aspect with the Mothman story, I said, I'm going to go to Point Pleasant. I'm going to go geocaching. There are tons of caches in and around Point Pleasant. Very nice caches. Uh, there's an area and it figures in the novel. It's called the TNT area. It's just north of Point Pleasant. It's an old, uh, uh, it was a facility for uh, 
manufacturing and storing ammunition back during the World War II. After the war, the facility was abandoned. And when I say abandoned, it was just left. Boom, everybody went away. And so the forest encroached on this facility and eventually just completely overgrew it. They stored the TNT in these structures called igloos, which were domes, uh, probably about 100 feet in diameter. And all those igloos are still out there. Most of them are closed up, and some of them you can't even tell they're there until you suddenly encounter like a rise. And you find an iron door into a hillside. Uh, so I, at, while I was out there caching, I encountered quite a few of these igloos. And at, at one of these, uh, at one of them, I came upon the iron doors. I took my hiking stick and whacked on the door a couple of times. The echo inside that thing was staggering. It went on and on and on. I'm like, how big can this thing possibly be? And it wasn't long before I came upon an igloo and the doors were standing wide open. And I thought, should I go in there? You better believe I'm going in there. <laughs> and so I walked in and sure enough, it was, I mean, it was pitch dark in there. And it is, the inside was lined with metal. So it was a metal dome. And when I spoke, sure enough, that echo in that dome structure it went on and on and on. And I'd say for a full minute, I could still hear my voice echoing oh, around wow. and around in that place. So that was kind of creepy. Yeah. <laughs> and then afterward, it was that night, as a matter of fact, I was staying at the Low Hotel, this beautiful, old, supposedly haunted hotel in downtown Point Pleasant. When I had a panic attack, I was thinking, you know, I don't know how securely those doors were open. I don't know if they could have sprung shut while I was in that thing, but if they had, I'd still be there today. Somebody might've found my car eventually, but TNT area is hundreds and hundreds of acres. Wow. And I had parked my car a little ways down a little and a little turn in off of, uh, the main road, and when I say a main road, it's barely more than one lane gravel road that goes a few miles through these woods, and it's sort of checkerboarded with them. So eventually, I suspect somebody would have found my car, but that could have been an awful long time <sighs> later, so I'm really, really glad that door didn't decide to shut on me while I was inside that place. Yeah, that's that's a creepy thought. <laughs> it really is, but... One, bit, yeah. I do enjoy, you know, when it comes to geocaching, I uh, I enjoy fairly extreme caches. I do a lot of tree caches. In, in Point Pleasant, I got to climb a tree, a pretty good tree. Uh, so a lot of my hides are up trees. A lot of my favorite caches are up trees. Uh, the one in Point Pleasant in the TNT area was memorable in that to get there, um, once you get into these overgrown areas, it's so thick. Uh, I had to uh, hack my way several hundred feet to get into the woods deep enough where I could actually get to the tree to go climb it. But when I was coming out of there, I, I was following my GPS track back to where I was. But I deviated from it by probably no more than 50 feet. 
and I found myself in a tangle of vines and reeds and just this thick growth that twice I had to turn around because I could, it was impassable. I had to turn around, try to find my way back to my path. And I, it probably took me 30 minutes to go 250 feet out of those woods. It was wow. so thick, but I enjoyed climbing the tree. <laughs> Hey, the journey is, is half the adventure. It right? was. I, I do hope, but there's still a lot of caches for me to get in Point Pleasant. I really do want to go back. I'm hoping to maybe uh, in the spring or something. So when you were there and in the TNT zone, was that part of your research for the book or did that just happen to be a place you'd gone yeah, before you wrote the point, book? At that point, it was uh, basically research. It was uh, equal parts investigating the mothman and geocaching because i wanted the caching in the book to accurately reflect the way it really is in that area there were i think three or four night caches in the tnt area and i had had it in my mind at one point that i might go attempt at least one of the night caches but after that journey to the tree I thought that would probably be foolhardy to do a night cache in an area that I don't know where nobody knows me. Uh, and the next day when I went out there again, I decided I would at least look to see if I could find any uh, reflectors or anything at the GZ of one of the night caches. I could not. So I figured if, um, if I had gone out there I, I, alone, I think it would have been pretty ill-advised, but uh, at least it gave me a good basis for what the people in the book would have to do to go night caching in the TNT area. So I feel like when, once I actually wrote that scene, it played out, uh, I believe, very much as it really would in, in that area. Uh, That's I'm neat. hoping so. So at least the one night cache in the book is sort of based on some of the caches in the area. Are there other ones in the book that are based on any caches you did while you were out there? Uh, I think the night cache is the, uh, the only one that I went in depth into the, like the terrain and the character of uh, the land and all that there. Most of the other caches in the TNT area are pretty much tr traditional. Some are micros, some are uh, larger size. The one that was up in the tree, if I remember, was a, was a vampire bat. Oh, wow. Um, I'm trying to remember. You know what? Some of the, uh, the, the caches in the TNT area, and I hadn't even remembered this until I thought about that one, they're based on movies. They have movie themes and the one up in that tree was called wrong turn based on the movie wrong turn because it has a scene up in a tree oh that's neat yeah that just now came to me <laughs> <laughs> so when you were out there doing research for your book there's always two sides to all these sort of cryptid and monsters you have the the skeptics you have the believers yep. did you go out there as doing skeptical research? Were you just out there trying to look more for, you know, just the lore and the history of it? What was sort of your point of more view the, when you were the doing this? More the real life history. I, I am quite 
skeptical of such things, but I'm also fascinated yeah. by phenomenon that if you take it at face value uh, are inexplicable. Usually, usually there is uh, some natural explanation and people do, you know, you just don't know what that natural explanation is, but this one in particular, I think fascinated me because uh, as I was saying earlier, it was corroborated by so many uh, people in different areas around there who did not have contact with one another. Uh, and the, the perception I got in reading so many accounts of it was the genuine sense of fear that these people uh, conveyed when they were interviewed that it seems to me if I were going to perpetuate a hoax or just tell a lie, I, I know some people are probably better at it than others, but I just don't see how you could lie so convincingly. So many different people could do that. I believe they saw something. I don't know what yeah. that, that some preternatural being, I have my doubts. But I also doubt, you know, one of the explanations was that it might have been a sandhill crane, which is a very big bird. It stands almost as high as a man I've and has red theory. rings around its eyes that some people, who knows, if they saw it in a half light, might have mistaken the red rings for glowing eyes. But are you familiar with the podcast uh, Monster Talk? The science show about monsters? No, I've checked out a lot of, especially when I've been researching the books, I've checked out a lot of things, but I don't know that one, I don't think. That's one that I really like because they, they actually use monsters as a topic to discuss critical thinking in science. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And Mothman is one of those episodes and the cranes that you mentioned is one of the theories that they, I they talk about. I definitely need to check that out. So it's called Monster Talk? Yes. Okay. Yes. It's, it's one of my favorite podcasts personally. I, they, I like it because they're very open. They have people that come on the show that are skeptics and they have people that come on the show that are very much believers in some of the stuff they talk about. And they're just very open and respectful about people's viewpoints. I really like that idea. Yeah. That's yeah. good. So one of the things that's great about your book is you don't have to know anything about geocaching or Mothman. You put a explanation of both in the beginning. Was that something you always planned to do when you were writing it or something that kind of came about at the end of it? Or um, I wanted to make sure that readers who were unfamiliar with these main themes weren't going to get lost early on. And so, yeah, I, uh, made a point that I wanted to work in the details about both the Mothman and caching, but not give you big information dumps. There's no better way to lose a reader than you drop an encyclopedia of information on them that kills whatever tension that the story uh, may otherwise have generated. Uh, I wanted to give you enough information going in so that you didn't feel lost, but that information would be developed and enhanced the farther you went into the book so that you would sort of naturally pick up 
enough of what's going on to get you through the story without ever feeling lost. Maybe, you know, have questions, um, have a, a sense of mystery, but not lost. I, I didn't want a reader to get lost in there. I personally think you did well about it. I mean, I, I was familiar with Mothman beforehand, but I'm not as necessarily well reversed in Mothman as say some other people may be. Yeah. But I felt like what was provided in the beginning of the book was a good basis for anybody to kind of grab a hold of the idea. That being my first of the Amerisker's book, that sort of served as a template for how I've approached this, um, the succeeding books is to give you some information up front enough that you feel like you can latch on to the events and the characters. You don't get everything. You get more as you go. And, and, that, and that's how good fiction is going to work anyway. So I, I hope I'm succeeding at it. But like I said, the, the Mothman book did sort of serve as a template because it's the first of uh, the first, like I said, for that, grade level and that I think grabbing and holding a young person's attention is frankly it's more difficult than uh, grabbing an adult because an adult reader who who loves to read who reads in many different genres and all sometimes uh, I, I guess the word is patience they have a little more patience for things unfolding as a kid I wanted I wanted a good story, but I didn't want it to fart around on me. I wanted to, I wanted to yeah. get into that story and keep things going. And uh, that's been, um, it's been both the challenge and a sense of gratification as I've done these books in that I, it allows me to release the inner child. You know, I'm like, I'm writing what I would have wanted to read when I was that age. And that's, and I approach that to, everything I write, everything I write, I, I want to write what I would enjoy reading. Something that, that's going to grab me. And I, and I sometimes succeed. Sometimes I fail dismally. Um, a lot of times I'll pick up something I wrote last week and think, this is awful. This is <laughs> awful. It's gone. It's done. <laughs> but you know, that's the way it is as a writer, you know, you win some, you lose some. Well, I, I personally am not a writer, but I can imagine, <laughs> I can imagine the win some, lose some. It, that applies to a lot of different aspects yeah. in life in general. So. Absolutely. Was there any part of your research or any locations that you scouted out that you decided to leave out of the book for any reason? Yes and no. I initially had felt like I should probably set the book in Point Pleasant um, because that's the Mothman's home, right. basically. But what I ended up deciding on as I started plotting it was I moved it out of Point Pleasant to a fictitious neighboring town because let me tell you, Point Pleasant is Mothman Central. They have a Mothman Festival every September, although not this past I'm, not this year. They have a Mothman statue, which is a virtual cache. They have Mothman themed where I go caches, traditional caches, multi caches. I felt like if I set the story in Point Pleasant and set it as it really is, there's going to be too much 
there's going to be too much Mothman. I want this to be more mysterious. So I dropped the idea of putting it in Point Pleasant itself. I moved it 10 miles away to what, what now is it's the Broad Run River area. It's just out undeveloped area. So in my book, it's the town of Broad Run. I put it, I put it there so that Point Pleasant is close enough where I can easily refer to Point Pleasant as being a neighboring community. The, the Broad Run community in the book adjoins the TNT area in, you know, a few miles from where the real town, where Point Pleasant is. That's really the only thing I can think of that I dumped. So where can we purchase the book? Uh, obviously Amazon. Yeah, Amazon is your primary source to get that. Um, Crossroad Press that publishes it. They're a, a fairly small independent publisher and I could go into a whole talk about the business. I was a publisher myself for many years with a magazine. Uh, they opted not to go with traditional bookstore distribution because there are so many pitfalls. And nowadays, the whole face of publishing is such that bookstore exposure isn't as important as it used to be. Mm. And Crossroad excels at promoting uh, digitally. And that's uh, one of the feathers in their cap. They actually started out doing solely digital publishing, and it was only later that they went in that they started doing paper books now personally i'm i'm an old school author i love my paper and ink books i i like to have a book in front of me i've gotten more adept at reading on a kindle and it's convenient i actually I actually like reading on a kindle now but yeah amazon is definitely your prime source you can get it at barnes and noble i think books a million stuff like that but I always, I, I would always just say, yeah, Amazon is your definite go-to. It will always be available there. And it's one of the audiobooks you mentioned, right? This one's yes. available as the audio uh, version. Yeah. And I will tell you, I've had audiobooks made of quite a few of my, uh, of my adult novels. And I don't listen to audiobooks as a rule. I probably should because my eyesight's not what it used to be. But a good narrator is essential to keeping you involved in the book. And I am very happy to say that I loved the narration to the Mothman book. I actually, uh, when my fiance and I were coming back from a trip to Ohio, we visited her parents. They, they're in Michigan and we met halfway in, in the Amish country in Ohio. On the way back, we popped in the Mothman book and I was expecting to hate it because I hate everything <laughs> I've written after a while. And, as we were driving along, I'm thinking, you know, this guy makes that sound good. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I was I was very keen on uh, on the Mothman uh, audio. The the other two books I believe that that I've already done um, are are on the slate somewhere for audio, but uh, the I will say the pandemic has just sent publishing schedules and so and such into uncharted territory. So I can imagine. <laughs> although my latest book, the Grassman book, came out on Kindle, I think it's been three months now. The paperback is still not out, and as a rule, they're only two to three weeks apart. Hmm. And 
I can't remember both of the, I think both of the others, I think the paperback came out before the uh, Kindle edition, but I'm, I'm hoping the paperback, this one and the upcoming books will, will be uh, a little more synchronous. Cause I do have a lot of people asking, well, I, I like to read the paperback. When's the paperback coming out? I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually. I go back and forth in both, but if I start a series in one media, I like to keep you know, in that yes. media. Yeah. I'm the same. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So I definitely get people being anxious to get the paperback for it. Yeah. Warning, this part of the show contains spoilers for the cash that is about to be discussed. So at the end of each episode, I do a cash highlight and you have graciously agreed to do a highlight for us. The cash is called A Tale of Two Trails Bedtime Story. Cash ID GC112D8. Difficulty rating 2, terrain rating 2. The description reads, Night hunt. Grab your favorite and ultra-bright flashlights and hit the trails. The coordinates are for parking only. Expect for this cache to take two hours of your time. That's how long it took my group of non-geocaching friends to complete it. While it's conceivable to do this during the day, it will be more difficult and will require much, much more walking. Besides, it's only night. What are you afraid of? Reflectors. Start off of the Laurel Bluff Trail for a warm-up. Ten-minute walk-in. This is the shortest leg by far. There are reflectors to mark your way and tell you what to do. One reflector marks trails and paths to and from stages. Two reflectors tell you to leave the trail at that point. You may see some double reflectors side by side. They still mark only one stage. Three reflectors marks the site for a stage. At this point, look around and don't wander more than 20 feet from a tree. All stages are hidden the same exciting way. I have tried my best to make sure all reflectors can be seen regardless of season. If you experience problems such as leaves covering too many reflectors, please let me know. While walking on the trail, check out the other caches. You even walk within 40 yards of fortune cookie cache. The, the reflectors try their best to lead you away from that area. Coordinates. One number is hidden at each stage along the two trails, Laurel Bluff and Reedy Fork. There are six numbers in all. You will be able to find the north numbers from the Laurel Bluff Trail and the west ones from the Reedy Fork Trail. The numbers are presented in reverse order, so finding 3, 2, and 1 will read north 3610.123. If you walk more than 200 yards without seeing a reflector, two things are likely. You missed a double reflector, so the trail ended, or a pedestrian removed too many reflectors. The final cache is hidden in my usual offbeat style, but no higher than your head. As this is a night cache, I have given in and marked the site well enough once you get close. The cache contains various items within the dollar range to trade. I have departed from my standard logbook and am trying a different style. No artwork is included and no first to find prize is offered. Sorry. Hint. West Tense is not an eight. It was the first night cache I ever did back in 2008. The Lake trails here in Greensboro are, they're all around the, we have several big lakes and the trails go around the lakes. This one, um, like I said, was my first ca first night cache. So I didn't know what to expect. Um, and I went with a young lady whose geocaching handle is Cup Daisy and it turned out, and I did not know this when I started caching, she was a person I had formerly worked with. We, neither one of us knew that each other were cachers. 
and we found this out after a while. So we decided to go after this night cash together. She invited along uh, her brother and another lady who went by uh, Bog Turtle. And I, I think I had met Bog Turtle one time very briefly in the past, but we decided the four of us would go after this night cash. Now, Bog Turtle did not know that I was a horror writer. Oh. <laughs> she tends to be uh, apparently a little bit sensitive about gruesome, scary things. Mm. And, uh, so as we were following these reflectors down one side of the lake, as it turned out, in order to get the coordinates for the final cache, what you do is you have to have a pretty high-powered flashlight. You shine your flashlight across the lake, and you only find this out by trial and error, that numbers have been made out of reflector tacks on the trees on the far side of the lake. So you've oh, got to wow. have a light where you can make out those numbers from several hundred feet away. Well, going down, we were going along the south end of the lake and shining our lights across, and we, we could make out the numbers where necessary. When we got around to the other side and had to shine our lights back over the other way, we discovered, well, first of all, we discovered the reflector tacks leading us to the areas where you're supposed to shine the light were gone, all oh. gone. And we're like, well, this is putting a complication into things. And um, we, we had spent quite a bit of time out there and one of, I believe it was Cup Daisy said, you know what, one of the things we ought to be looking for is geo trails. Look for areas off of these woods where people have obviously gone because this cache had been out there a long time. And we thought that's a great idea. And so Debbie and her brother, Cup Daisy, they went down the trail this way. And Bog Turtle and I went down the trail this way. At one point we saw what looked to be the perfect geo trail down toward the lake and when I shone my light down there I saw a reflector and I said look 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 let's go down this way and she's like well maybe we ought to wait for Cup Daisy and her brother to come back and uh of course we had our phones at the time and uh I said well let's let's see what we get here rather than call them back needlessly so we went down there there was this huge deadfall with uh, it, it just looked like a mountain of trees that all, all fallen in together. There must have been 50 or 60 reflector tacks all over those trees. And I thought, this means something. Uh, and Bog Turtle, she's starting to get a little bit nervous. She goes, I'll bet you those are all the tacks that got stolen from the trail. I'm, just, I'm not liking this. And she was getting more and more nervous. And so I went down and looked around the deadfall and I thought, you know, what if this is the final location? And she goes, I don't know. This, this is just kind of creeping me out. And I said, well, you realize this is the part in the story where Jason jumps out with a machete and whacks <laughs> your head off, right? She pulled out her phone and she's just going, Debbie, Debbie, Debbie. Oh my. <laughs> and her brother comes back and he's got his gun pulled. Out. <laughs> we're like, what the hell? And so we're like, okay, look, maybe the cash is down in this deadfall and 
none of us really wanted to go climbing up under there, but her brother finally said, I'll go in there. Two minutes later, he goes, I found it. <laughs> and that was it. That was it all along. But that just, that made for a memorable first night cache because we didn't know what to expect, what we yeah. were looking for. It was, uh, we were all very uh, green cashers at the time. So that was a hell of an adventure. It sounds like it was. Yeah. <laughs> we still look back on that and think, yeah, that, that was a time. I mean, I've done a lot of other night caches since I put out quite a few night caches. And all of mine do have spooky themes, believe it or not. <laughs> do you remember what kind of container that was when you guys pulled it out? It was an ammo out? can, if I recall. An ammo I can? An ammo. <laughs> I would hope it would be something bigger if you had to go digging under all them trees and yeah. limbs, but you never uh, know. Yeah, the, uh, later on, uh, the CO and I went walking down that trail. I walked with him while he put all the reflector tacks back that had gone missing. <laughs> And you really got to think about it. I mean, who's, who devotes so much time? I mean, every now and then a tree will grow and the bark will expand and a tack will pop out. But this was every tack on that trail. They were all gone. Somebody had made a devoted effort yeah. to swipe a lot of fire tacks. Wow. So who knows? Well, it made for a very interesting story of nothing else. We... Yeah, we we enjoyed the experience, and there's a there's another night cache. Uh, there's a place called the Devil's Tramping Ground, not far down the road, where it's a spot where nothing grows. I mean, it was discovered, I believe, in the 18th century, and you look at it. I mean, it's just a clearing, but it's uh, well known as the Devil's Tramping Ground, and there is a night cache there called Hell on Earth. That was a fun, that was a very fun night cat. That was probably my favorite, second favorite. <laughs> and I've set up a few. There was one called Darkness Falls that I actually adopted. It was a, a night cache that the CO had moved on. So I decided to adopt it and it needed a lot of maintenance. And one of the highlights of my caching career was spending several nights out in the wood. This was a multi-stage cache over many different trails. It was a huge setup, mm. but some of it I set up in the daytime and then I go out at night uh, to verify everything worked the way it was meant to. And uh, going out on some of those trails alone in the middle of the night, I hadn't really done that out here before, but there's something about going cat, you know, as a, as a youngster, that would have creeped me out so bad. I couldn't have stood. I don't think I could have brought myself to deal with. Oh, hi. But there's something about the knowledge that I'm out there doing something caching oriented and that just takes all the, the creep away from it. You know, then it just becomes stimulating. Well, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast and talking to us about your book and geocaching and for doing the cache highlight for this us. This was a, a treat for me because the, you know, those are things I'm very passionate about writing and geocaching and, and the two for me go together hand in hand. And I just, you know, I, I love that part of the experience of being able you know i like to write blogs that are that i hope entertain the ceo if nobody else but you know i, I just enjoy the possibilities for storytelling that caching presents i think it really does that yeah i think it does i have a couple of hides myself and you definitely get a lot of those that are just thanks for the cash yeah. but when you yeah. get ones that even just two or three sentences long. Yeah. You know, well, you know, there's, if it's a 
series of parking grabs or something. There's not but so much you can say, but right. when, when the CEO has obviously made an effort to make a cache that will give you an experience, I like to at least do my best to re give the CEO some feedback on it, tell them that I really did have a good time. I, I am rarely, the only time I'm critical of a cache necessarily is if the CEO doesn't maintain it or something like that. But you know, it's people who are passionate that are putting out the really good hides and stuff like that. And you want to encourage that. So I really feel like uh, I want to do my part to in, encourage it both by relating that I have had a good experience doing it, putting out what I hope are going to be fun caches for people in the community. It's such a good uh, community oriented hobby. If uh, you can make it as personal or as social as you want it to be, well, it's more social when you when there's not a pandemic going on. I'll tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, I do like the uh, the opportunities to be very socially positive with it, and I do this by scaring the hell out of people. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> and I really do appreciate you um, getting in touch with me to do this because uh, I, I hope this will you know entertain folks and maybe. Uh, attract people to cash. There, there can never be too many cashers, I think. The, the community here is smaller than it used to be, and I would love to see a resurgence of it. I have ran into a couple of cashers out in the field, but not many, and I'm not sure if it's just because it's the pandemic or what exactly is going on, or if it's just because of the area I'm in. I'm hoping next summer, you know, we, we get to have a little different life experience in general yeah. for oh, everybody in <laughs> the pandemic is hopefully knock on wood gone by by then. i hope so too but again I, I so appreciate you reaching out and let me know what uh, about your show i mean this is great this is great again thank you so much for coming on here today if nothing else i have very much enjoyed talking with you and likewise thank you you've been listening to geocache adventures with me shadow dragon one if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Do you have a topic you'd like to hear discussed? Do you have a geocache adventure you would like to share for the cache highlight? Would you like to be a guest on the show? Reach out to me at geocache.adventures.podcast at gmail.com or on the contact page at geocacheadventures.org. You can also check out Geocache Adventures merchandise by visiting the store page at geocacheadventures.org. Thank you for listening, and I hope you've enjoyed the show.